Scary, scary steam gentlemen looking at three scary steam gentlemen here back in the steam tunnels for the spookiest month of the year are my favorite time of year i won't speak for the other two esteemed members of the steam gentlemen here on the panel but it is spooky month it is season two we are back you know what it means when it's season two it's a sequel so you it's got to have a higher body count and that you can absolutely count on we will bring the blood we'll bring the gore we will bring the scares coming back to you october of the year of our lord 2021 we are back so great to be here with you so great to be meeting around the table again ah it is the steam gentlemen we're here to take you all the way from the atari through the ps5 from the vhs to the streaming content and everything in between talking about the zeitgeist that guides us along let's introduce the panel today i've got the artiste himself the star child the one who takes us to the cosmos and beyond mr gregory descends how are we doing today uh feeling all right i, I like uh bring the blood absolutely uh, yeah yeah we can go ahead and make that the slogan for the month bring the blood bring the blood bring the gore bring the scares all kinds of things get to get to delve into that subject which i almost just don't even feel like it's making a show here i think it's just sitting around and having as much fun as humanly possible with one of my favorite genres mm. and well not the cleanest of segues but i want to bring you back to the three of clubs the 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 original last girl if you will <laughs> the one who defies expectations <laughs> the one and only Rashawn Smith. How you doing today? I'm doing well, Josh. How are you, man? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's good to good to see you back. Good to have you back at, uh, in the table. Good to sit here and wonder what you're gonna, th- what kind of left hook and curveball you're gonna throw at me all at the same time. You and me both. he doesn't know what he's gonna do he just does it we're all gonna find out that's absolutely that's that's where it's absolutely what makes it magic and that's how we share you know yes no that's how we share it's how we roll that's how we bring it but entering in no no secrets here not really uh too hard to guess what our subject matter is this month for the halloween we're delving deep into our favorite our favorite genres being horror and we wanted to start with that, that case where horror gets overlooked, right? The, the fact is that it is not necessarily considered a serious art form. And often that's brought upon itself. Plenty of tropes uh, that started in our childhood going back to the slasher films of Halloween, Friday the 13th. Um, plenty of co-eds being chased around and scantily clad. Um, so much so it's, it's you know, it, it is a trope. It's something that we know and we expect. But in the last few years in particular, the genre really has tried to take a step forward um, and really has tried to tackle serious subject matter and make us think about what scares us and why we're scared. Now we're sitting around all in our different locations here, <laughs> tuned into ourselves in the steam, in the steam tunnels uh, for this, you know, uh, for what many consider the most frightening re- reasons of a pandemic where we can't even be close to our loved ones and friends. So it's a bit easier under that particular microscope. But we wanted to go into that ca- those cases where we really thought that a horror movie went above and beyond and probably deserved a little more recognition. Yes, we're going to go into that idea of where a film that was written so well, it deserved an Oscar nod. Yes, the big trophy, Oscar himself, that little golden statue that all filmmakers chase after. 
um, and why, you know, and where we thought horror movies deserved it. Just a little bit. There's only been um, 18 horror films that have ever gotten any kind of Oscar uh, Oscar nods. Um, most of them for films like uh, films like The Omen, for example, back in 1976, won its Oscar for Best Original Score. Now, I, I can't say that they're wrong when they give that uh, when they gave it that nod because that music still spooks me out. I don't know if I'm the only one in that, but it was a, a, a ingenious idea of making a uh, of making this satanic Gregorian chant, uh, you know, complete with the Latin. And Latin just always sounds spooky. I, I'm sorry. I don't care. You know, I don't care if you're saying, you know, I, I know that you're saying the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, or you're mm-hmm. saying love thy neighbor or whatever. It sounds scary. German also in that category. You just, I, I, <laughs> I'm not sure how the people procreate. Somehow they manage to, but nevertheless, mm-hmm. even with a, even with a, a language that just, you know, leans into it. Others like Black Swan uh, give, gave a nod to the acting chops of Natalie Portman, which uh, a little bit of an argument there. Is that truly a horror film? I don't know if I would have, I would put that as a psychological thriller myself. Um, but it does touch on that idea of mental instability, which is not unimportant in the, in the, in the realm of horror as it goes. Um, and it does leave a lot to imagine in the mind of the viewer. I would still argue that it doesn't quite transcend into horror. I'd say it, it, it's still in that psychological thriller and that questioning of particularly, um, particularly of, 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 of a life or lifestyle of being in a dance company or ballet company. And, you know, this is a total non sequitur, but I just seen a article the other day about um, a couple, a married couple who were uh, being accused of, of sexual assault and rape of their students uh, in, um, in the Boston Ballet. So it seemed to me a bit more of a, of a commentary on that world, if you will, which is truly disturbing, especially when we're talking about those subject matters. It's not, not to take away anything from it. Um, and then brings it to probably the most famous horror film uh, that, that wins uh, an Oscar, for best original sound, and here's where I'm really going to start my little rant, my little take on it, is The Exorcist. Now, obviously, the sound in this film, you cannot take it out of the mixture. The sound is one of the most disturbing aspects of the whole film. People may not realize when you're watching a movie, um, your ear pro- starts to, and then the, the part of your brain that processes sound is usually about a half a second to a second ahead of your visual senses. So good sound editors put in little pops, little breaks, or or hits um, between the edits, just before the edits. They help unsettle you. They actually help you feel what you're feeling a little bit sooner. And you you don't necessarily process that at the time, especially film uh, uh, being such a visual medium and you're sitting in the theater and watching it happen. You, of course, assume everything's sort of happening on that visual medium. And... The, there, are, there are growls, there are sounds of the, uh, there's a slaughterhouse sound that they're, us, they're using um, to be put inside there. There are just all sorts of small, subtle things in the soundtrack that go along, of course, with the visual uh, subliminals. Uh, I, keep find, I keep finding them, by the way. It's like, where's Waldo? I've watched that film, you know, <laughs> many times through the year. And you can still find those little shots of the, of the, uh, of the artist they got to dress up as Pazizu, the, the demon. So the film, in fact, did get an Oscar nod, but here's where it was truly robbed, I think, was um, for Linda Blair. She was disqualified 
uh, from being best actress because they felt that there were a couple of scenes uh, where they used a, um, a body double. Uh, William Freakin to this day has said it's only, you know, half a second here, half a second there. Um, he did nothing but praise her performance in that. She was such a young girl and to do to do such a subject matter. But the other controversy that came with it that was much more profound, and this one I'm still not sure of to this day. He went back to a woman named Mercedes McCabe, who was a, a voice actress um, and sound artist uh, in the day. And I guess she was a, I guess she was an alcoholic and she went back to drinking for this film just to give you some concept of how deep it was because she wanted to get the voice. And she is the voice of the demon. She is the voice that scares the shit out of you that you see coming out of that little Linda Blair. Obviously, it's a trope in and of itself. It's mm. something that is, you know, laughed about and joked about on Saturday Night Live. But still, no one else got that quite in the same way. So the story is originally she did not ask for a screen credit and then later on came back and demanded a screen credit so but it all depends on who you ask of course she says that she always wanted credit Friedkin said she didn't uh in later cuts it it's been mentioned and I even know her name so um but I still think that the totality of that performance still does have to rely on the then I think she was 10 or 12 year old Linda Blair and the, the, the unsettlingness of the film and why it still scares me, and I, I hope to talk about it more in depth in another episode, is the idea that what if this is correct? <laughs> the <laughs> idea <laughs> that the Catholics are right. Let's just start there. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> exactly. I, no, you know, God, I know no. I got at least one lapsed Catholic here. I'm the Jewish guy here, you know, and I'm, I'm always in awe and, in, and kind of amazed, but, you know, by the reverence of the entirety of it uh, and the pageantry. That goes on to it just watched uh, midnight mass by the way give that mm -hmm. one a watch great great film uh great series i should say not a film but the idea that yes this is the way the world works <laughs> if that's truly correct that is kind of terrifying because let's yeah. face it you're in a system of credit and debit and most of us do not have enough credit to get into the into heaven <laughs> as my beloved wife who is a, a lapsed catholic herself says we're all just aiming for purgatory, aren't we? Um, yeah. <laughs> so everything's a pyramid scheme, man. Even religion—it it really does. It really does strike you that way sometimes, doesn't it? Huh? You know, just got to get enough converts underneath you. So it's all, all, all in the real quick on Christianity and the true sense of horror. Since you tapped into it, think about it. It goes triangle down. Down. It yep. Literally, it literally puts you at the base, no matter how you look at the breakdown of the structure of the apostles and the higher saints absolutely with the prospect of hey you can move up right if you hustle hard enough <laughs> <laughs> you move enough units you can get that pin you can move up on the structure so it's like everything else you get to the top and you realize it wasn't worth it like mother Teresa reportedly said oh wow so you know that's something i didn't even even bring into it as an aspect but you know, so as I say, that that in and of itself is a somewhat terrifying concept, but add to it then the very uh, the other terrifying concept of mental illness and the idea that some creature could move into your body and take advantage of it in the case of The Exorcist and, and several other possession films, um, that idea that, you know, it could commit a murder. And then whose fault is the murder? Is that the fault of the body or is that the fault of the demon, right? You have this kind of disconnect that's just a terrifying idea 
and having been someone who witnessed someone losing their their mental faculties, um, I, I can attest to. I've actually seen it far too many times. It, it, you can attest to how terrifying a prospect that is, right? The one thing that you're supposed to be able to rely on is your own body and your own mind. So it really does tap into that theme. And I think because of that and the seriousness of it, it did get uh, some Oscar consideration. Um, and it, but I just felt that it deserved a little bit more and it should have been in the conversation a, a, a bit more because it really is a deep film and a serious film. It does have serious questions of faith that get a little lost somewhere where it, it you know, it, it, I think being a, a genre bender and then sort of bending the tropes so much, it can kind of, uh, actually not bending the tropes, created the tropes. I think it works against itself in that way. Um, I did want to give a, a quick nod before my time is up to um, another film though, that was the genre starter as well. Um, but also was the beginning of the idea of putting political messages within within horror films, which is George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. So real quick summation, it's the zombie apocalypse. There's a small, small, uh, small cabin somewhere in the Pennsylvania countryside, presumably outside of Pittsburgh, because all all zombie apocalypse start in Pittsburgh. Shout out to my shout out to my earlier family right there. Um, and <laughs> Romero did something. It was in the 60s. So it came out 67, 68. So, you know, we're seeing images of Vietnam coming home from uh, coming home on the television every night. First time that that happened to America, where we're really just sitting up front to the horrors of war. We're not just getting, you know, uh, names in the paper. Um, the civil rights movement is in full swing. We're also getting those stark images, right? Of dogs being uh, sicked on people, uh, just asking for the right to vote or just asking for, you know, the most basics of rights to take a sip of water uh, or have a seat on a bus. And Romero makes the interesting decision. Firstly, he does a little Hitchcock. He, he makes you think you've got one uh, protagonist and then switches who the protagonist is very early on, right? Starts off, doesn't tell you what's happening, puts you right in the middle of the action. And he switches the, the protagonist, one of, and he makes his leading man black, um, uh, which was pretty out there for the time in 68. It just was not something that you know, many people were considered, considered doing. And at one point, he's even telling a white man in the middle of the civil rights movement, you may be in charge down there, but I'm in charge up here. It's a pretty stark line for the time. And I just thought it was the, I never have been sure. And Romero was always very coy about the idea of whether or not how political his message was within his film. I just always thought he did such a wonderful job weaving it with the overt of that line and that performance that he took. And, and the subtext though of this, you know, of the fear that was there of the, the old world being devoured by the new, right? This idea they're coming to take, they're coming to get you, Barbara. They're coming to take it away. They're coming to get, you You know, it still is here today. I'm not saying we're past it, uh, but it is definitely what, you know, what brings a voice to that fear, which in the end is what horror is supposed to be about as a genre, right? How do we, how do we put a picture on these fears that we're carrying around with us all the time? Um, I think it, culminates uh greg and i were talking before the show and he points out that it really culminates uh in a very overt message in get out in jordan peele's get out uh which really launches his career in the genre as well going moving from comedy to horror uh or as i'm lovingly referring to it as the stepford black people um because we're taking <laughs> we're taking that idea of this sort of 
you know, castration and subduing and all of that. We start with the Stepford wives in the seventies, right. And, and where women plays, we go to the Stepford teens in disturbing tendencies and we, we wind up here, but mm-hmm. Peel is able to take some of that, some of that spirit of that zeitgeist from this, you know, this little film, which also coincidentally, just a little side note here, launches the zombie genre, <laughs> a little genre you may have heard something about in the last couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. So here you have such a such a huge scope of things being there, uh, being introduced all at once. That's a hell of a film. And it was an indie film to top it all off. So it was never expected to get any serious consideration, but it's one of those films that when you look back on it through the years, really deserves uh, some critical acclaim uh, for more than just being sort of this, this tchotchke piece and this beginning of this, uh, of this particular subgenre of the zombie genre, one of the best, I think, or certainly was at one point, maybe a little tired out, maybe a little tired out by now. I'll give you that. Every, you know, too much of a good thing can always been, be in there. But also launches this idea of putting these political messages within the horror genre, which prior to that had been eh, really very campy, right? It was all about fear of the atomic bomb and giant creatures and creatures in the Black Lagoon. I mean, they they were there, they were overt fears, but they were more of the they were more of the childhood fears. Those were that which stayed under our bed, right? That really, you know, that our parents assured us weren't real. This starts to get into, well, what is real about your fears? You know, and then puts a face on it and puts a very real situation on it that people can relate to um, one way or the other, hopefully for the better, but uh, stripping away those levels of comfort. So that's my two cents as the bird man here going in on, on, on that part of those horror movies that definitely got overlooked. Uh, fortunately, Get Out did win some awards, but it didn't, I don't believe it got the Oscar. I don't believe it got any Oscar nods, but uh actually let me double check on that as i'm going down usurping rashawn's role as the there we go uh let's see oh uh sorry uh get out did win an oscar for best original screenplay let me correct myself on air as we do that so it does get that nod and we we start to take horror as a little bit more of a, of a serious genre I gotta say, man, you, you you researched it better than me, so I'm perfectly fine handing over the torch anytime you want to research your own facts. Oh, fair enough. But I, will, I, you know, I will point out a couple of things that have always struck me funny about several of the things that you talked about throughout my life. One being like reference and point of view and perspective. So for and and nostalgia and how it plays into how we reanalyze things, especially over and over and over, if it's a celebrated thing. One being like, maybe Romero was trying to be political or maybe it was just an actual political move to do something that was so punk when you think about the actual definition of punk that sort of fits Romero more than him trying to make this grandiose statement. It's more like, uh, yes, it's impossible for anyone to believe that he wasn't understanding the gravity of it, but... I think it's in the same way we sometimes elevate Star Trek a little too hard for the things they did in the first season of their original series. In that, it, yes, you're pushing the boundaries, but who's to know where their political stance was? So they always call it political. I think it's a little dangerous and, and, and it reflects more of what we think and what we hope versus what the person was trying to do in one way or the other. And the agency of those individuals, I think, should always be important. Uh, the other thing is, it's funny 
the way people sometimes who, and I don't want to speak for all black people. I, I know Greg and I often are on different sides of the coin. So that right there should show people uh, that. I spoke to, I spoke to all black people and you can speak for all <laughs> black people. <laughs> um, like it's, it's funny how get out is received and talked about because I, I'm not sure it landed in the same ways for a lot of black people. Same with like watching a lot of things that we talked about. It's like, it's more like, yeah, finally. Or like, yeah, finally you can hear what I've been trying to fucking tell you this whole time. Or yeah, all this. And, and it's funny because because the narrative is still mostly controlled by a white perspective it is constantly like, oh, now we see like when we talk about civil rights, it's like, and you no, know, Josh, this isn't a shot on you. I've heard white people my entire life say it's like, oh, so scary to watch it on TV and all that. It's like, it was scary for you to see it. Black people had already been living it. We were literally telling you our entire existence here, this is what's happened. It's just finally there are cameras that you see it. So the constant like, oh, so scary. It's like, yeah, you know, it was scary, but you know what else was scary? literally the hundred years before that moment. I'm sorry you had to witness it from your living room while my aunt and uncle and father and brother and all these other people were out there in the middle of it, getting the dogs, getting the hose. So the, 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 the scary part wasn't necessarily the same or received the same. I will say this may be a little too kumbaya for a horror episode, but don't disagree with the thing you just said. <laughs> Everything you said was, was absolutely spot on. I just want to make clear to the listeners, we all have a hotline here. Mine goes to the Jews. All right, Greg. <laughs> Greg and Rashawn have their very, you know, go to the, 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 to the, to the Black Caucus. All right. <laughs> the Blockus, if you will. Uh, yeah. So yes, we all have our own. We have all have our own. I just can, you know, I just can go and, and count all the world's <laughs> money, yada, yada, yada. But no, I, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, that in the end, it's still put through that particular uh, viewpoint. And it, it is still put through that, right? So, of course, um, well, it, you know, it's, a, it's a question of who do we think the zombies are supposed to be? Of course. Who do we think? Because you look at what's happening right now with like the uh, immigration issue, you know, I'm sure to a lot of white folks, it looks like the zombie apocalypse. You know, all <laughs> these, yeah, just kind of people shambling across the border with cell phones, but still, you know, like they're after us and they want to take everything from us. And what are they going to do? And we need a bunker and we need to get like, you know, a survivor girl who's going to be our survivor girl, I think. Yeah, you can you can waver a lot when it comes to a message because the problem with putting a message in your work is it's going to follow you and the work. It's going to stick to you, you know. Yes. Sort of like sort of like the ways you know people would ask you know Bob Dylan about like a lot of his lyrics or uh, activism or anything. He always you know he gets kind of wishy washy about it. Like he doesn't give a really straight answer about it and. You know, I always wonder if that's part of the reason. Same thing with Romero, same thing with uh, uh, Tolkien. You know, like they kind of turn around and it's like, even though for people watching it, it's obvious what you're trying to say, but then you say it's not so obvious. You know, right. I, 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 I would say that. And I think, you know, it, it's got a lot to do with, you know, what people are ready to hear at that time too. You know, like at the time, you know, like, yeah, that was a pretty radical statement, whether he made meant to make that statement or not. It was a pretty radical statement. Now get out is more of a radical statement for 
a segment of society and everybody, everybody else can kind of be like, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's fascinating. <laughs> well, with that, why don't I turn the floor over to you? I want to get your perspective on your horror films that got overlooked that deserved, deserve that wonderful golden statue, or certainly at least deserve some more critical acclaim. Well, I think um, a lot of it is, you know, perfect timing too because you know i think it's a lot like you know a lot of sci-fi films and superhero films you know i feel like the acting and the special effects had to catch up to the genre it really did because it was really hard to keep take a lot of horror films seriously because the acting was terrible the writing was terrible the special effects were somewhere in between scary and kind of funny because you know something some things you want to do, you know, because you are hampered with the effects that you have, you know, you kind of have to, you know, make it, you have to go the campy route, you know, and so a lot of it, you know, kind of fell flat. So I understand it, you know, and I'm glad that now, even if they're not getting so many awards, they're being taken a lot more seriously than they were at one point. Like you've got real actors doing real acting and something that matters, you know what I mean? So for me, you know, for this, I was like, all right, who really deserves a Oscar? And I thought about like, what the thing that really rings for me in horror movies is a, a, a sense of dread. You know what I mean? Like a sense of dread, like not necessarily an inescapable dread, but just something where you're like, you know, it hits you. Like one of the best things about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is the premise. You know, how do you not fall asleep? You know, like, how, how do you get out of that? You know, like, you can make the argument that, you know, it's like, you know, Jason, you can get away. You're just not taking the fact that there are three campers missing very seriously and you're going to fuck instead. Like, if you really know it seriously, you wouldn't have half of these problems down the road. But how do you not fall asleep? You know what I mean? Or if it's a haunted house that won't let you leave, like this is just a thing that is more powerful than you and you don't understand it, you know? And, you know, so I, I decided to give three examples, you know, one, one not so serious, one serious, yeah, one serious, one not so serious and one not, one not serious at all. So the one that's not serious at all, but gives you the sense of dread, definitely Hellraiser. You know, like this was a movie, the subtext of that movie is giving into your lust, you know, like how do you not give in to these sexual urges that are absolutely self-destructive, but that's the best part, you know, like the best part of it is the fact that it is self-destructive. How do you not give into that urge and, you know, uh, uh, solve the box and bring on the Cenobites and be tortured for eternity? But that's okay, because at the same time, you know that you are walking into that and it's just irresistible, like you need it. And that kind of just bondage body horror that they were doing was just so original, so original. There was nothing like it at the time. And the idea that, you know, there is this other dimensional hell, not Satan, you know, not really so much. They burned up the Leviathan in the second film, but in the first film, it's like, where's, you know, the, you know, more of the biblical iconography that we're looking for. And it's like, they created just a whole other, I mean, Clive Barker only made like three movies, but honestly, they're groundbreaking. 
And so I give him a lot of credit for it. And so for that, I say definitely Hellraiser should have won something. All right, for the next one, my not so serious one, but kind of serious one, I want to do uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. It's a send-up of horror films done brilliantly and hilariously and originally. It's a mockumentary about a man who decides to become the next Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees. Like he makes the decision to put in the work, all right, to do the cardio necessary <laughs> to make himself this next level slasher. And it's brilliant. It's much, much better than uh, uh, Scream. You know, it's uh, much smarter than Blair Witch. Like Blair Witch, although definitely the feeling of dread applies with the Blair Witch, I still say wasn't that great, you know? And the shaky cam just started a thing in film that I wish did not start. But uh, yeah, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, and you're kind of watching it and it's kind of like, you know, the cabin in the woods, like you're watching it thinking it's going one way and then it turns and suddenly you're even more engrossed than you were at the beginning of the film. Like it is just, it's brilliant for that reason. And for my serious one, um, I got to go with, um, well, Josh, um, you didn't mention the Babadook. So, I did not. I did uh, not. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and talk about the Babadook then. Because I know the Babadook better than Heredity, and the Babadook actually won a shit ton of awards, but not a big Oscar. You know what I mean? Not a big nomination. And again, you know what? Sci-fi films are still struggling with uh, getting an Oscar. Uh, comic book movies are still struggling with getting an Oscar. I mean, like them or not, I mean, the comic book films are the most revolutionary thing in the 21st century. Like, you have to do something. What do they do? Just open up to 10 movies. Also, none of them comic book films. So whatever. <laughs> but um, the Babadook, um, the look of it, the style of it, um, uh, and that, again, sense of dread, you know, bringing children in. Children are creepy. You know, they're creepy little creatures. You don't know what to take seriously from them, and you don't know what to not take seriously from children. And so it also has that feeling of being a confused parent. You know, having this child who seems to be out of touch, you know, where are you going to, what would you do in that spot? And that becomes that sense of dread because you're somewhere in between wanting to do what's best for your child and this real danger that's lurking, which, you know, again, as a parent is just what you deal with, you know, like, where do you draw that line between uh, hearing them and keeping them safe and then enter monster which is the most original movie monster i'd seen in a long time to that point and the style that they chose to make him to uh, uh, create this character i thought was that was beautiful beautiful if you like that style if you're into that kind of just jarring sort of uh, uh, a stark dark charcoal black kind of visuals you know, this would this was a perfect film for that, you know, but it it's very it's pretty low key, you know what I mean? Like the cast is not huge. Um, it's not something that, you know, required a hell of a lot of CGI or, you know, you know, waves of blood or anything like that, but a brilliant movie. 
an absolutely brilliant movie, The Babadook. Highly rep- uh, recommend it. And I want to go for a, uh, a, a movie fail, and I hope that somebody decides to make this movie. But Krampus, they did Krampus wrong, damn it. There was a lot of possibilities in Krampus. I was waiting for a good Krampus film, finally, because... Again, as you know, uh, uh, a Catholic, you know, I, I can't. Something about me, you know, just people being happy during the holidays. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's just wrong. Like you're not supposed to be happy when he died for your sins. No happiness for you. Period. And so, just bringing Krampus into the mainstream with Santa, who's you know a judgy asshole. You know, you're over here like children, <laughs> no choice. You know, you're born into whatever economic standing you are. And so you may have done some bad things, but you know what? Your family's got to eat, Santa. You judgy dick, you know? So <laughs> Krampus being on, you know, the same plateau as uh, Santa, I thought it was about time for that to happen. But the, the Krampus film wasn't that great. I think it was PG-13. It yeah, should not have been. Um, and uh, yeah, there uh, should have been a lot more just, there should have been just a lot more as far as uh, getting into the past and the traditions and the fact that people love Krampus. You know, yeah, when uh, people go out and celebrate Krampus, they celebrate Krampus. Yeah, so <laughs> they, it, do. they do. Yeah, they do. And it's fucking fantastic, you know. <laughs> so uh, that, that's going to be my, my my final shot. But the movie that definitely should have gotten an Oscar without question would be The Babadook. Ah, well, for those of you just joining us, I'd like you to welcome to welcome you to the Steam Gentlemen, the only podcast on the airwaves where you can hear the 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 term the words spoken in all seriousness. I was waiting for a good Krampus film. We, <laughs> that is we know we know where this is the only place you're going to hear it that's a good call it's an interesting streaming did you say for those of us just join us yeah having a little fun with it uh you know maybe <laughs> maybe we'll maybe we'll you know maybe we'll be able to put together an event someday but guy can dream um i do it was interesting that you went with the krampus i just love it um my my father-in-law was raised in switzerland uh in a Ah. in a a valley that got in the winter time it probably got daylight between two and four hours a day you know um Mm -hmm. as a subsistence farmer and a very devout catholic um i don't know if they had he you know he would describe some of the um traditions around Christmas, which was not, of course, the, the, you know, he immigrated to Canada and to the West, and it was certainly not this bevy of, of, of uh, consumerism uh, that we have, that we have now, but uh, he didn't describe Krampus, but he described Santa's two helpers that if they showed yeah. up, they would show up to your house. And if your parents said you were being a little shit, they would throw you in a bag and beat you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so as you say, this true story. idea, this I, true story, exactly. This idea of 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 uh, Christmas time being this happy holiday is 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 certainly a new advent, um, without a doubt. Um, did just want to throw in my two cent, uh, my unsolicited two cents. The Babadook loved it. Great, great pick. Um, I viewing it through my own lens, uh, and this is for my own lens only. But I think there'll be some people out there, a listener or two. Um, uh, I have a child with special needs. My oldest is on the uh, is a high functioning on the autism spectrum. Um, so I found that such a wonderful and true metaphor, as you said, for being a parent uh, with a child with special needs, and especially that first feeling when that when you're first given that news, uh, there is that that sense of dread. There is that sense of I'm not prepared for this, and what does this mean? And you know, 
all of these fears that mix in for your child's future. Um, so I just loved it. You know, it, it, it took it to a much darker place, of course. And I'm not trying mm-hmm. to, uh, to say that, <laughs> you know, definitely not trying to say anything about being on the autism spectrum, but it, it took it to that darkest place. But I, I just love the way they weave that metaphor through. And it kind of goes through the whole idea of what I'm calling new horror, the Babadook, uh, Hereditary, um, The Witch. Uh, these are all really good films to check out. Um, oh, uh, It Follows. They're all, I, I won't go into all of them, but it's just all that idea of, of our modern fears again, um, but also usually leaving it um, up to the mind of the viewer of, is it really happening or is it just the mental instability of the characters on the screen that you're seeing? And it's not mm-hmm. necessarily a question you're ever going to answer. Sometimes it feels, some people feel it's answered, some people feel it's not, but that's, that's that open-ended part of the artwork. Like you mentioned before with Romero, not really wanting to take ownership of the message, right? He kind of, you know, doesn't want to put put that hard a definition on it. And I I didn't want to say that entirely because, you know, I think that they're being cowards or anything like that. But as an artist, as a creator, you know, you do want to leave room for people to have their experience with something. You know, like if that's not the way you want to read it, but you totally dig it, okay, that's, you know, that's absolutely fine. You're allowed to do that. But, you know, when they come out and say that, it's like, okay, when people turn around and say it's political, you can't argue with that either. Right. (laughs) You have to take that too, because you're saying you're not going to nail it down. So if I say, okay, then since you haven't nailed it down, I'm going to go ahead and say it's political. You kind of have to eat that too. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. The best songs you ever hear are are kind of those ones that hit you in a personal way and remind you of a personal event in your life that the songwriter never could have had in mind when they were writing the song. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. My fate, my, you know, one, there was a, can't remember the name of the song by the, by the, I think the Cranberries and you didn't give a damn. Uh, That was like part of the chorus, right? And I remember I was at a dive bar in Providence and there was this hooker named Candy. And she was- uh, (laughs) Because of course there was. Because there always is. Um, There's always a Candy. And um, she went on this beautiful soliloquy about how much that part of that song meant to her. And the point of the song, she had gotten 100% wrong. And I was when I wanted to pre- and I wanted to correct her, but that's when I realized I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to this aging hooker and her dingy sweatshirt and tits hanging down to her waistline. This song said something that resonated with her, and what it actually meant didn't matter. Didn't matter. You know, she liked maybe you know ten percent of the words of the song. You know, but when you're having that personal experience with a piece of artwork, that's what matters the most. Well, it is. That's what matters the most. To that, well, Candy, we we wish you well. We we hope we hope you're you're hope we hope you're getting whatever you needed out of that song and getting your happily ever after. Uh, she <laughs> did, she did not. Oh, I'm so sorry. To but um, <laughs> kind kind of you to say, but she. Well, did. you know, we were, we were doing our best to you know give a little hope for the horror movie genre today. But with that, let me let me see what the old heel turns gonna bring out here. He's been he's he's over there on the ropes. He's warming up. 
He's getting ready to jump on in. Maybe agree, maybe not. Maybe bring the old mm-hmm. clothesline. How you doing today, Three of Clubs? What's going on? What's going on is I'm pretty sure all Greg just did was took the lyrics of Jane Says and just like replaced a couple of names and then uh, put it as its own. I heard that story before, man. It's one of my favorite songs. Like, you, can't, <laughs> you, can't, you can't run that past me, man. It's, I mean, we're all done with Sergio, but uh, <laughs> I think a lot of what we're identifying is at, at its root and its core, the problem with why horror movies don't get Oscars um, in a lot of different ways. So one thing is it, the problem starts with one, what actually qualifies for an Oscar. Um, obviously, there's widely varying opinions and views, but the fact of the matter is whether we like it or not there is some real objective standards that seem to be consistent with all the movies that have been able to win oscars uh, yes we all like those movies or if not love them in some ways it's iconic for a lot of different people um it has emotional resonance with a lot of different people it it, it makes sense to a certain point but then you have to then try to argue what is that point of view. And, and once again, it comes back to, because as in fact, the shape of this, of this country at current, it comes back to a very specific white point of view. And it's not a matter of, I know people are gonna hear that and be like, oh, it's racial and all that. It's like, eh, how about you just grow the fuck up and understand what reality is? Because of that, it's very hard to then break out of those norms. There is a certain sort of standard. When you look at all the movies that these movies fall into, no different than like in the Grammys, the up until recent, very recent, anything that was considered rap, not surprising that a Macklemore would win. It falls under these very safe sort of constraints and checkpoints or like, I watch a lot of football. I grew up playing it. Uh, So like in uh, college football, why the Heisman tends to always be the quarterback, even though it's supposed to be the best player. So the, the hardest part starts with that. Then it comes down to the next part, which is what exactly is horrific or causes those emotions to a person, which frankly, to be fair to Oscars, that's kind of hard to settle on. We can all talk about Get Out, but I argue that the scariest part for most Black people watching that movie was at the end when the cops showed up, because that was the moment where every single one was like, oh, fuck, dude's dead. Like, he made it all the way through that just to get fucking shot at the end. That fucking sucks. I mean, that's good, Jordan Peele. That's some horror shit right there. Like, up until then, I was just laughing. It was kind of comedic in a lot of different ways, at least for me. I I sort of watched it like a, a comedy. Uh, all the way up until the the cops showed up and it's like, fuck, dude's dead. Um, Or we can dip into like, what is a horror movie supposed to do? What emotions are it supposed to convey and and, and invoke? We we all, I think there's a reason why a lot of times best pictures tend to fall into the same genre is because you can argue that all the people who settle on what the Oscars should be can at least agree on oh yes, I felt that romance, or I felt that sense of longing, 
or I felt, you know, all these different things, the reasons why Francis McDormand is like the de facto winner for best actor. Um, it's just like, she does all these things that they all check off on. So it's easier for them to, to agree on that versus like in horror, as I just pointed out, what, what is scary and then also what emotions are we supposed to be agreeing on so we can check off from movie to movie to subjectively say, did you reach this mark or not? That is really hard to do. I mean, it's funny. I just wa I watch a lot of American Horror Story. One of the plots that uh, that they have in one of their mini series that's out now is that this film producer is is and this is going to a point that both of you guys made. This film producer of this horror movie, which was objectively bad, what understood that it wasn't good enough to just scare you in one sense or another. Like Josh, you talked about the the advent of using sound to actually invoke even more horror to the, the viewer, which makes the iconic movies like Exorcist and Omen to a lot of people um, when, you know, objectively when people, let's say in our generation, if we're gonna be real, by the time we probably get to those movies, we have already seen objectively scarier things in commercials before we get to it. So it's, it's hard to then continue, but what we end up hearing from the people who control the decisions is no, that is a scary movie. You are going to be scared. So then you have to break it down. And Josh, I think you nail it in the sense of understanding the sense of sound or Greg, how you point out in the sense of doom and dread with Babadook and the connection of a, a parent, even though I'm sure it was scary to non-parents. But uh, going back to what I was pointing out with American Horror Story, the guy was like, it's not enough. I, I, people need to feel horror in themselves. They need to feel almost as if the character in the movie, which then would make them have a visceral reaction. In this case, because it's an American Horror Story that's ultimately trying to kill anyone and everyone around you. Past that point, when you start breaking it down like that, it's, it's actually pretty easy to understand why horror movies are very hard to get Oscars. Um, also specifically breaking down the problem, normally, and this is part of the reason why I've always enjoyed shitty horror movies as well as shitty sci-fi movies like the shittier the better and what i mean is they're willing to do what these movies are actually supposed to do a horror movie is by nature an avant-garde sort of approach to a subject you are taking something that's very specific and you're trying to invoke an emotion that people only feel in a very specific amount of time you can argue that you feel levels of love or you know comedy or anything like that throughout the rest of your day if you have a normal life. You can also argue that argue that what is horrific to someone like let's say in a war torn country is going to be a lot different than someone in a first world country where the worst thing they go through is traffic. So with that said, it's understandable that it needs to be sort of pushing the boundaries of what an idea is. So it's normally an avant garde thing. Hollywood hates that. It, it, to be fair to Hollywood, it, it, everything, it's a business. So it's about making profit. So they hate going on a limb with an idea that's really out there. Um, and also to the point that Greg made, the, the ability to convey the thought wasn't there normally to the level of the idea of the film producer or the writer or whomever was trying to bring forth the image of that horror. Normally it was wildly out of whack. So that was also problematic to get behind. 
also normally because of that they got a smaller budget so smaller budget means harder on the props harder on the scenery harder on getting the next thing which is the talent which actually is combined with the first idea too it's hard for actors considering that their job and their is based off of profitability and therefore to get more roles they need to be in less problematic things it's hard for them to get behind those ideas at least in the very in, in up until the most recent thing i mean iteration so like last decade up until then it was hard for these actors to get behind let's be real because it, it had a high probability of that movie flopping their name gets attached to it and all of a sudden their roles dry up or they're they're at best doing kind of stuck in the role of doing really shitty genre like movies to continue on so i think with all that said it leads to the biggest problem that every horror movie has whether they're trying to be serious or not to get to an oscar and why we don't see a lot of them it's, it's a very high bar to clear you actually have to sort of set the trend and the standard you have to really push the, the limit and when you when you look at the iconic movies it's not hard to uh, actually understand what i'm saying jaws set the sharks uh standard and genre Night of the Living Dead, as we talked about, introduced zombies as a genre, which was widely replicated. Alien introduced inter intergalactic uh, monster sort of approach to things that even included reimagining what we feel is intergalactic and looking within, understanding that our world is mostly water. We've only really explored 5% of it, so it's not hard to believe that what we haven't seen is worse than anything that's been above. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street, as we pointed out. Yeah, Dreams is definitely it, but I would argue that it really pushed the whole idea of how you can fuck with someone's mind and make that one of the scariest things. Blair Witch Project, set the found footage genre. But then the funny part is if you have a little fun with it and you really like let it go, then it, and you understand what horror is and that's specific to the person, then you can argue things like The Graduate. That was scary as shit. The ending of it, when you break it down, is scary for a lot of different young adults who have gone through the same thing. Like, what the fuck am I going to do next? I really don't even know. I'm on a bus to somewhere. I don't even know where I'm going because that's literally indicative of my entire life right now. 12 Monkeys, about fate and time travel. What happens if you think you can change things? We can't. I can't see the clock. I changed the fucking view. Josh, I don't give a shit. Superhero movies. Gods are here so far. Are they on our side? Outbreak, not stopping the global pandemic. Not like we can't fucking attach to that right now. Or things like even body snatchers, identity. What is it? Who you do, who do you belong to? And what happens when you join the group? I'll jump off. I'll just finish off on uh, Rashad. I think you make the exact point about why we want to put a different label on it call it a psychological thriller because for some reason we're uncomfortable saying it's a horror movie right or we want and and that's true on both sides of that coin like the horror fans are like nah mm -hmm. and then the mm -hmm. you know and the the, the sort of more civilians are like nah, right you know neither of us want to say it but for whatever reason silence of the lambs hits that you know hits those those venn diagrams right of where the two are totally crossing over each other and you can sit there you know you got horror movie you've got you know psychological thriller and you've got that overlap all of a sudden um that i can speak to from i remember the emotional feeling 
of, as you say, that constant feeling of dread, Greg, that you were, you were bringing up that you knew Lecter was getting out before the end of that movie. You knew mm-hmm. he was not going to be in that cage the whole time. And then even when he does break out the, you know, leading up to it's Jim Pembroke, damn it. I really want to <laughs> that. I really, we, we need a, we need a Jim Pembroke button. Um, but I remember my palms sweating. I just remember when they, when they get upstairs, right. And the, and the SWAT crew is there and they're like, you know, putting in the, the mirror and they're shooting the guy in the leg and all that, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And they go in and the guy's been crucified and he's sitting there. He's been disemboweled. I just remember my, my palms sweating. I just remember that whole intensity. Um, it's hard, hard to recreate, you know, it's, it's, it's impressive as hell to get that level of emotion out of a film. Right. I'm just mm-hmm. like, Jesus Christ, you know, something's wrong. I didn't figure it out until the very last. So good on them. Right. I've watched a lot of movies and usually can figure out the twist, but they had a little twist. They got by me for a minute or two. Well, I mean, a bet, you know, another good example is seven, you know, right? like this yeah, is yeah. a gruesome stomach churning fucking movie in a lot of places. And again, it does give you a sense of dread because it's yes. this serial killer who seems to be very methodical, 10 steps ahead of the police the entire way. And then when he does finally show up, it's like he just walks right in. And so it just (laughs) keeps getting more and more unsettling as the movie goes. But is it a horror movie? Is it a psychological thriller? Is it just a cop drama, just well-directed? Was that David Fincher? Uh, That was David Fincher. David Fincher, you know. And so which one is it supposed to be? And then you've got Morgan Freeman and his monologues going on and his observations, like, where am I supposed to stand with this film? But horror or not, it, there is a real sense of dread there. See, the funny part is, once again, I, I did not feel that watching. I just felt entertainment. Like, yeah, there are fucked right. up things, but at no point was I scared of Kevin Spacey's character. What, if anything... If you want to argue what Dread was, at least for me, I would say it's for the characters because it was such good character development that I actually cared what happened to him. But at no point was I scared what could happen versus like A Nightmare on Elm Street, to your point, going to sleep. It's like, this fucker could get me. Like, yeah, it was a movie, but it was also about dreams. So that's that's a little bit different. And and, and once again, I know we're going to talk about spoiler alert. This is going to be probably one of our topics, but like what is really scary to me, Arachnophobia is one of the scariest movies that's ever existed because you can't oh. tell me that you've never had some produce and a fucking spider didn't come out. Oh. Like, like, so who's to say which one's going to be the, the, the one that's going to kill a town? Like, I, I know when I'm decorating my house and I've got my giant spider I'm going to put up, I'll send you the pictures, for Rashawn. Gi- no, no, giant spider. Look, dude, I, I, I grew up going to camp. I worked in camp. <laughs> I mean, it was in New Hampshire, bro. Like, I've seen spiders that can take down bats. It's not that. What I'm saying is the fact that it could happen, yeah. that's the scary part. Like, we have things shipping into our country every fucking second. Trillions of dollars. Not all of it really checked the way we think it is. It immediately goes to the consumer end. There's almost zero security between you and the next fucking sort of outbreak in this kind of category. So that's why it's scary to me. Like literally also they outnumber us like a thousand to one insects. It's only a matter of time before we come across the ones like, you know what? I'm fucking done with you guys. Like there's, (laughs) there's so many different ways this realistically could happen. I'm not fucking worried about some asshole killing people based off of the Bible of the Bible verses. 
That's probably already happening. So fucking what? Whatever. I'm not really caring about some asshole who's gonna like walk around and and and, and eat people's faces. If I don't see that coming, whatever. Mm-hmm. What's scary is how many guys did the other serial killer kill and it took fucking Ham Elector for the FBI to get to his house? That's what's <laughs> scary. Like, that's the scary part. Ah, uh, well, with that, it's a great launch to our uh, month of October into, the, into what scares us, into the spooky, into the fun. As I say, it's October 1st today as we record this. So I'll be out in the front yard putting up the, putting up the inflatables soon. And getting more inflatables, yes, because it's all about having the most inflatables in your yard to show how scary you are. Indeed, uh, we, indeed we do not kink shame, as Josh no, goes no, on no. about his inflatables. That's it. I got, <laughs> no, I got, I got my inflatables. This is, uh, this is my holiday. This is my time of year. The kids love it. Uh, get, you know, dad, dad gets Talk free about rain. scary. We're the last generation where you could give kids like fucking fruit and shit during oh, Halloween. There's that. Oh yeah. Remember, that? remember like, if, remember in elementary school where finally they start sending out notices like, don't give out like anything that's on a wrapper. We're like, wait, yep. that's a problem. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, you know. I was like, thank God, man. Done with the raisins. You asshole. The box (laughs) of raisins. See you tomorrow. Nobody nobody look like I do I look like I need fiber. I know. Come on. And like did you look like I need fiber? You you just it just pissed you off too when they gave you the fruit. I remember one dude handing out apples and we all just threw it on his fucking lawn. I mean Fuck you. Apples this is not you. the night to make a point. That's all we're saying. Sir. This is not the night. Did I show up at your house for fucking apples? I don't think so, bitch. Right? <laughs> right? Oh, Here you go. Take it right back. All yeah, right. Man, I'll trade these apples for some eggs. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm yeah. loving it. I'm loving it. And we are heading on into that spooky month. So with that, let's just get your final thoughts here. Style child, how we how we doing? Where are we going into this the first of the of the spook fest weekends? I think we're doing great. I think, um, I mean, this was also kind of a foyer into just, you know, what are our favorite horror films and favorite uh, genre. And uh, we got to explore that. So I think we're, you know, people are going to know what to expect from each of us, you know, so um, it's good. It's going to be fun. Loving it. Loving it. Rashawn, three clubs. How you doing? What you got? Anything good going on this uh, for the, the for the launch of the spooky weekend? Or are you just uh, gonna gonna sip some pumpkin spice? Uh, probably not even that, man. But I, I'm not gonna lie. It's gonna take everything in me not to talk about Event Horizon for the next four. Oh, that, hey, uh, I'm not gonna hold you back from that one. I mean, I'm just saying okay. we can I, find I can't, a reason. Yeah. I can't. I can't wedge it into every. I, honestly, I think I could talk about it every episode. I, that movie just hits so many different levels for me. And in every October, because I love sci-fi and horror, it's just. It's it's so nice. That's that that is a special film, a very special film, and uh, looking forward. I love it as a little teaser, as we call it, as we call it in the industry, little teaser, giving it to our fans. Uh, shout out to Hellraiser because um, with Greg, that that movie set a lot of different stages. It, it it gets looked at too hard at the gore, but when you start really breaking down what's going down, at least in the first two, um, before they really got crazy. Uh, one in space. I know people are thinking, Rashawn, you love sci-fi and horror. Why not four? Fuck you. But the point <laughs> being, it's like one and two, some real good psychological shit right there where it breaks it down. It's like, oh my God, you're hitting me on like a biblical level of fate. Like it's it's not even about gore. Matter of fact, just kill me. <laughs> well, my, 
much like much like uh, Pinhead, uh, stick with the uh, Steam Gentleman this month because we have such sights to show you. So <laughs> buy the shirts. Buy the shirts. Come on back. I'll put the uh, we're gonna put the shop there in the uh, in the episode description. Uh, please follow us on the socials. Do you even Steam Bro uh, on Instagram? Uh, Steam Gentleman on Facebook. Uh, do you uh, um, do you even steam bro on YouTube where we be putting these episodes up as well make sure to go over uh, onto the old Apple Pie uh, podcast and rate and review us help us get known help us push the spooky agenda of the, sp- of the steam gentleman this month goodbye horse one last point Josh yeah to further prove my point that Hollywood really cares only about profit and nothing else and then what it's bankable every once in a while they throw us a fucking doggy bone which is big as fuck you which is they take two properties and they just put it together like when they say hey we'll put Jason in space and you fucking fanboys will love it there you go absolutely and don't forget jason versus freddy which was the ultimate you know come on <laughs> well those are that's horror and horror people showed up for that i'm just yeah, saying. The, the sci-fi and the horror they're like you know we'll just appease these nerds for a quick second they'll they'll give us some money they'll give us some money give us your money all right well come on back in next week we hope you hope you'll join us uh play say please go rate and review we always appreciate it always appreciate the fan love Hope you're having a good good rest of your spooky month here. Start kicking it off right with us. In the meantime, keep that heat up and keep your head of steam on. Tell a friend, tell a friend. <laughs> <laughs>